Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. We know that a lot of people have got questions about sex. They've got questions that they think, you know, where will I find the answers? And you know where most people find their answers? They find them on Google, okay? They want to, like, well, how does this work? What is, what, how am I supposed to think about this? What is the right perspective on this? And then they Google it. And, and when you Google it, you often just get a plethora of different opinions that don't represent God's heart, that don't represent God's best. And so we thought, you know, if you can't ask questions about sex at church, where, where could you go to to ask these questions? And, um, and so over the past few weeks, we've been taking questions. People have been texting in their questions and, uh, and, and we're going to answer some of those today. We have limited time, obviously, but we'll do as many as we can. Um, and, and we find that people want to know specifically how the sexual education that we've all gotten from the culture of our day and from the culture of our world, how people are seeing things on, on TV and on movies and, and, and you know, have he- heard things spoken about by friends. How, how do those things... Um, you know, how do, we, how do we reconcile that with the biblical view? How do we take the things we've heard, and how does it compare to what the Bible says, um, and, and, and how can we have the correct perspective on it? Um, a lot of people, when they ask questions about sex, we often get this, um, is that they want to know, how much can we do before it's sin, right? Like, how far can we push this envelope before it is sin? Like, that's one kind of thought around it, like, I want to do everything until, you know, I've just stopped short of breaking the law, you know, like, people go to that extreme, and then on the other extreme, you have some Christians and pastors and teachers that advocate sex for procreation only, that there's nothing to be enjoyed, in fact, it might even be some form of sin if, God forbid, you enjoy it while procreating, you know, and, and, and to be clear, neither of those extremes represent the biblical view. Neither of those extremes represent God's view on sex. Um, a pastor friend of mine, he's, he's now a pastor in the U.S., uh, but he studied here in South Africa. And when he was in Bible school, he actually told me the story. I didn't go to the same Bible school as him, but uh, he told me about when he was in Bible school, um, they would watch lectures um, on one specific subject. They had a lecture that they watched videos of, and, uh, and as they were going through the subject, every week when the, when the lectures ended, all the students would be talking after class about how amazing this guy was and how solid his theology was and how, um, you know, just an incredible teacher he was. And then on one particular night, this specific Bible teacher um, shared his personal views on, on, on oral sex and spoke about it as being something that he doesn't think is okay because it's not God's intended use, you know, for your body and whatever. And and that night, all the students left, and they said, you know what, nobody has a perfect theology. Like, you know, <laughs> nobody has a perfect theology. Everybody's going to get it wrong somehow. Um, but people have different theologies on sex and about sex and differing views. And so we want to answer some of those questions and be faithful to the, the Word. You know, this is our constitution. This is, this is our vision. This is our heart. Not just the rules of the Bible, but the person of the Bible, Jesus. And and, and in, in the, the scriptures, we find, we find Jesus, we find grace, we find the ability to live out God's best for our lives. And it, 
it's, it's, it's got a lot of stuff in it, but the Bible is ultimately a love letter from God to us. It's, it's the heart of a father revealed to his children. And so when God speaks to us, he speaks to us as a father speaking to children. And when he tells us through his word that certain things are not okay or should be done differently, then it's not because God is trying to rob us, it's because he's trying to bless us. I often tell my children that they shouldn't do certain things, and it's not because I'm trying to harm them. It's because I love them and because I care about them. And, and that's the heart of God that we want to find in the Scriptures. And one Scripture that I wanted to read out to you um, as a guideline, and I think it's a, it's a really helpful guideline for any questions regarding sex, but also any other area of your life where you're wondering, is this okay? Um, and we, we did cover 1 Corinthians 6 in week one on the se- of this series because Paul addresses the church in Corinth on sex. But in 1 Corinthians 6, um, Paul kind of recites what the saying of the, of the people of Corinth were in that day and age. And what they said were, all things are lawful for me. And all things are, are, are you know, lawful for me to be able to do. But Paul says this, and I'm just going to put this scripture up there. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything, all right? So when you take this scripture in mind, you can ask, you can break it down into three different questions that you can ask yourself. If we don't get to answer your question today specifically regarding sex, these are three questions you can ask yourself. The first one, is it lawful? In other words, is the Bible okay with it or not? Are there scriptures where God specifically mentions that this is not okay? Because if it is, if if there are scriptures like that, then essentially we already know the answer, that this is not something God would be okay with. Um, The second question beyond that is that even though it's lawful, is it helpful? Does it actually add value to my life? Does it does it help me to serve my spouse better? Does it, is it good for my community and for my, my society? Is it good for my soul? Is this something that adds to my life or is it possibly something that takes away from my life? Because all things may be lawful. It might, there might be nothing in the Bible against it, but is it helpful for your life? The final one is, he says, all things are, are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. And this is where we realize that even though certain things may not be unlawful in Scripture, they may actually have the potential to enslave you, to become a God to you, to be the thing that you find your fulfillment in, to, to dominate your thinking, to dominate your lifestyle, and to lead you in a destructive direction. And so does this have the potential to enslave me? So three questions. Is it lawful? Is it helpful? Can it enslave me? Do I need to be careful about this area? And so we're going to look within that framework um, at, at a few questions, and obviously just a warning that this is going to get real, okay? We took these questions directly as they came in, and uh, we're attempting to answer them, and we want to do that authentically today. So, so I'm, going to, I'm going to say some words here in church this morning that you may never have thought that you were going to hear in church, um, but I'm just answering these questions, and these are real questions that people have. And kind of, you know, in, in line with, with what I mentioned, <laughs> because some of you are still thinking back to the story I told of my friend and the teacher about oral sex and saying, Pastor, can you answer that one for me, please? I'm just like, I thought I had clarity, but now I'm not so sure if I have clarity any longer. Um, so the first question that we have is, is this, and I'm going to put the questions that we got up on the screen. It says, is oral sex intended by God 
between a husband and a wife, or is this a perversion of intimacy, right? Is it, is it allowed? Is it something that God intended, or is this a perversion of intimacy? And as I, as I mentioned before, there are p- pastors that have, that have spoken on this topic, that have ha- taken a, a very a certain view of it as, as negative, and, and, and I, I've read some books by pastors that spoke about this um, and, and felt this way, but this falls into a category of questions which I would entitle, can we dot, 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 all right? So we know that sex outside of marriage is, the Bible speaks about it as, as fornication, it speaks about it as, as sexual immorality, and the Bible tells us again in, in um, the, the book of 1 Corinthians that we're to flee sexual immorality, and for that reason, every man should have his own wife, and every wife should have her own husband, um, and, and, and speaks about it in that. And in other words, the only way for us to avoid sexual immorality is within the context of marriage. So as a disclaimer, um, you know, when people say, well, you know, a lot of unmarried people would say, well, I'm, I'm not having sex, I'm just doing some sexual things. It's all categorized as sex scripturally. That word sexual immorality, we've spoken about this before, is porneia, the Greek word, which includes, which is where we get the word pornography from. It includes all forms of of sexual expression um, outside of marriage. And so we know that that that's something that scripturally God has got something better for us than that. But a lot of married couples ask, okay, so now I'm married, right? I'm in a covenant and... And this is okay now. Sex is, is, is a good thing. It's something to be celebrated. But are there boundaries within the marriage? Like, are there certain things that even within marriage, you're like, no, 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 that's going too far. Are there boundaries sexually within, within uh, marriage? And this is, is actually a question that we get quite a lot. In fact, more than one person asked this question or something related to it. Um, and in spite of the fact that various denominations have declared certain things to be unlawful, the truth is, that the Bible doesn't prohibit any form of sexual expression outside of obviously abuse or manipulation or harm or you know anything that's that's vulgar to that extent um, and and we know that um, but outside of that the Bible doesn't prohibit any form of sexual expression between a husband and a wife and that includes oral sex it includes manual sex it includes any other form of sex um, in fact in the Song of Songs which is a book that we've been looking at uh, throughout the series, um, there is clear indications, especially if you go back into the original Hebrew, clear indications of oral sex, clear indications of manual sex or, or manual masturbation between the couple. There is some tr- striptease in there and even sex outdoors, which I wouldn't recommend because you could get arrested, okay? So don't, if you tell the policeman, but the Bible says... It's not going to help you, okay? It's not going to work. You're still going to jail. But it's all in there, and it's celebrated in the book of, of, of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Um, but here's the thing. So, you know, sex between a husband and a wife is something to be enjoyed. It's, it's supposed to be healthy, and there is nothing wrong with being creative and having fun and exploring with your spouse but we must always be responsible for what's happening in our hearts, right? God has given us stewardship of our own souls. 
And your soul is so important because it's from the seat of your soul that you relate to God and that you relate to your family and that you relate to your spouse. And the devil always has traps and certain things that he wants to attach to your soul, burdens and and brokenness that he wants to bring into your life. And he could take something that's meant to be enjoyed in a healthy way, uh, you know, having fun sexually within uh, marriage, in, in any, of those other, you know, any of those forms of sexual expression, nothing wrong with it. But there is a point where you can begin to, to push it to a place where it goes beyond a healthy expression, where it begins to move into the territory of sexual addiction. And where normal, healthy intimacy with a husband or a wife is no longer satisfying, no longer feels fulfilling because you've actually created a sexual addiction and it can quickly shift into a perversion of the heart and the mind. Even though it's with your spouse, it's what's happening in your heart that we need to be um, looking at. And that comes to the question, can this enslave me? Can this enslave me? Now, Now, addiction is really like aptitude in many ways. You know, certain people have uh, talents and those talents are never activated if they're not put, it might be latent in their lives as potential, but doesn't get activated unless they put in a, in, in, in a certain environment that will activate and develop that potential. So there may be people who could have been the greatest musicians in the world, but if nobody ever gave them an instrument, they wouldn't have discovered it. And, and in the same way, addiction works. Some people or people are, are predisposed to certain addictions. And, some pers- and somebody might do something and it wouldn't affect them, but others can do something and it could have such a powerful effect on them. That's why some people can have a beer and it can have you know, zero effect on them in terms of addiction, but others will drink one beer and instantly be hooked to that alcohol. And so you've got to know yourself. You've got to know your own addictions and you've got to know that stepping into certain realms. And so what I'm saying is, is that our boundaries have to be determined and directed by our conscience. The Bible says that if our conscience does not condemn us, then we have, um, you know, then, then, then we are confident before God. So your conscience is really a great guide for you to know, is this okay for us to do? Even though scripturally there might be nothing against it, is this okay for me? Is this okay for my soul? And is this okay for my spouse? Because you can forget to consider your spouse in that moment. And, and as, as, as a rule of thumb, my, my guideline is that if your spouse is uncomfortable with it, then it's definitely not something that you should be doing. Um, and, and, and that's something that, that we need to consider because when the focus moves away from we're enjoying this to I'm enjoying this or um, I feel like um, this is satisfying me even though it's at my spouse's expense, then we've also crossed a line. And so um, once you begin doing that, you've missed the point you've started to miss the point of what sexual intimacy is meant to be, and it's just not worth it. Um, A final point on on this question is that no other form of sexual expression, even though we can be creative and we can have fun within marriage, it's never meant to uh, become a substitute or to replace, you know, intercourse as the main form of sexual expression within a marriage. Uh, Matt Chandler wrote a book Uh, on sex and relationships, and one of the things that he said there was that humans are the only mammals on earth where the primary sexual position is face-to-face, and that's because it's meant for connection. That's because it's meant for relationship. That's because it's, it's, it's there to bind and to strengthen the relationship. It's not there just for personal satisfaction. 
Once we make it that, we've lessened it, we've cheapened it. And so even though, you know, we can be creative, if that's all that you want to do, then it's also gone too far. And it's also no longer healthy for your relationship because sex was intended for connection. Is that okay? Everybody take a deep breath. All right. All right. Question number two. My boyfriend and I have been having sex, but we want to honor God with our future. How can we stop? What do we need to do to be able to stop? And, and I just think that that is an amazing question. And in fact, we've had um, at least three or four couples come forward and say this to us. Like, okay, we've heard what's been, been said. We've, we've, we understand God's heart and God's view on this. We want to be faithful. We want to hear what, and we want to live healthily going forward. How can we appropriate this correctly in our lives? And how can we take that step back? And, 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 and what could be better than that? What could be better than two people making a, a, a mutual decision to honor God? It's so inspiring to hear that. And, and, it, and it just... It's, it's so heartwarming for us knowing that this series has had that effect on people's lives um, because ultimately what these couples are doing is choosing to place a higher value on themselves and on, on each other and on, and on God's heart and to trust that God has something better for them. And when I read that question, um, it reminded me of something I read years ago in a book by St. Augustine called The City of God. And in The City of God, he writes this, and I thought I'd just read you this quote. He says, neither is luxury the fault of lovely and charming objects, but of the heart that inordinately loves sensual pleasures to the neglect of temperance, which attaches us to objects much more lovely in their spirituality and more delectable in their incorruptibility. And I know that's, you know, some heavy language there, but, but ultimately what he's saying is that it's never a bad idea to say no to something temporal in order to say yes to something eternal, in order to say yes to something better. And in this case, something better is God's best for your life. In essence, what Augustine is saying is that even the God-given pleasures that we have, have the, the, there's always the, the, the risk that those things could take up an inordinate position in our hearts, that they can take a hold over our souls, and that we will give ourselves to this, and as we do that, we miss out on things that are so much better in terms of their, their spirituality, and, he, and, and I love how he says, more delectable in their incorruptibility, because temporal pleasures and things of this world are fleeting, but when we hold out, we're able to take a hold of eternal blessings, and true peace, and true joy, and true fulfillment that, that comes from God that's supernatural. So why would you miss out on something supernatural because you're giving yourself away to something that's so temporal and so corruptible? And so when you make a decision to honor God, ultimately you're saying no to something temporarily because you are grabbing a hold of and laying a hold of something that's worth so much more in its spirituality and in its incorruptibility. So well done to those couples that have made that decision. Um, and, and let me say this, whenever we pursue God's will and in, in this area and in every other area, we need to know that we cannot do it in our own strength. How many of you have ever made a promise to God where you promised God that you were going to be faithful, right? Maybe even in this area of sex, like, God, I promise you, 
You know, it's like Job says in, in, I think it was Job 1, where he says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman with lust, right? He made a covenant with his own eyes. Um, like, I won't do it. Like, you know, a pretty girl walks by, Job is like, oh, look at that camel over there, you know? Like, just look completely the other direction. I won't even look. Um, and, 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 you know, those are the things that we resort to when we're trying to be faithful to the call of God in our own strength. But what the Old Testament teaches us is that the law doesn't have the ability to empower us to overcome sin in our lives. In fact, the Bible says that the strength of sin is in the law. In other words, if you want to fail in this area or in any area more than ever before, then what you should do is focus on not failing in that area, right? Because it creates a sin consciousness. Like if I told you right now, don't think about sex, all of you thought about sex, right? You weren't, but now you are. So when you focus on that, you actually lead yourself into it. Whereas rather than focusing on what we should not be doing, one of the, the first things that we should do, and we hear this through the gospel, is to focus rather on Jesus. Focus on your relationship with God. Focus on who He is. Focus your, on your identity in Him. Because faithfulness is born out of identity. Faithfulness is born out of identity. When you, when you believe that's who you are, you will be faithful to it. I remember going to an animal rehabilitation center at one point, and there was, a, there was a falcon that the moment I walked through the door flew in and landed on my head. And the people there explained to me that the problem with this falcon is, is that it was hand-reared. And so it thought it was human and acted as a human because that was its identity. And so many times we act outside of God's will because we have got a sin identity. But what the gospel does is that it says you're forgiven, it says that you're renewed, it says that you're a child of God. And the more you know and believe that that's who you really are, the more faithful you will be. And so none of us can fulfill God's call on our lives and will in our lives in our own strength. We only do it by the grace of God and by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You need Jesus on the journey, otherwise you will fail again and again and again. It doesn't matter how many promises you make. And so it's always better to focus on Jesus and on your identity in Him than to focus on not sinning, all right? Let's develop a righteousness consciousness within ourselves, and you will find yourself to be faithful. When you don't know your worth in Jesus, many people are tempted to then go looking for that worth and for that connection within sex. And for couples that have, been, that have been having sex, that are unmarried, it's probably already taken up a large uh, place in your heart where it's, it's dominating your soul because you find so much fulfillment there or, 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 uh, or self-worth from that place, and it's an unhealthy place. So that's the first thing, is make sure that you're working on your relationship with God and that you are trusting in Him for every area of your life. The second thing is make a choice. For couples that want to stop having sex that aren't married, make a choice. Not having sex is, is so natural, and the, and the drive towards it is so powerful that, you know, if, if you don't make a pre-decision about this, you'll find yourself failing again and again and again. It's kind of like, even more than this, but, the, you know, an analogy I could come up with around this is like, have any of you ever said, in the morning I will wake up, and then I'll see how I feel, and then I'll decide whether or not I'll go to gym? We all know what's going to happen. You're not going to go to gym, right? You can't decide in the moment. 
As a couple, you need to commit beforehand. Make a decision together and say, we're not going to do it. It is difficult to take a step back because sex is designed to be a a progression from kissing all the way to intercourse. It's meant to go that way. And we actually have a natural desire to go that way. And so you have to make really uh, strong decisions and put strong boundaries into place to prevent yourself from going there. I often tell people, what is the best way for a gladiator not to be eaten by lions, all right, if we were living in Roman times? And, and the truth is, don't get into the Colosseum, right? When you're in the Colosseum, the lions are there, and they're going to eat you, okay? And that's, that's the idea, is stay away from the, the spaces and the times and the places that are going to allow this temptation to exist. Sex is designed, and, and, and just uh, some more um, advice for couples Sex is designed to bind people together, to bind married couples together. And so if you all of a sudden, if you've been having sex and now you stop having sex, you need to be prepared for the fact that you might feel less connected to your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your fiance or whatever it might be. Because the sex was creating the connection and now it feels like there's a disconnect because you've stopped. And this is where you need to communicate. You need to be aware that you might feel this way, and you need to start talking about your relationship, and you need to start focusing again on your friendship and on your relationship. Do you know how many people um, have sex before getting married, and sex has the ability to mask issues, and it has the ability to dominate your relationship to the point where you don't even know if you guys like each other when you're not having sex. You don't even know if you really have a friendship with that person. You don't really know if, if you get along or if you have the same views on certain topics. You, you, don't, you haven't really built the rest of the relationship. What happens is people have sex. It masks all those issues. It feels like, hey, we're so connected. Let's just get married. They get married, and then all of a sudden, those issues start to, to, to become known within the marriage. And you go, do I even like the person I'm married to? And this is why a lot of marriages end in divorce. The sex actually masks the issues that would have been dealt with. So for those couples, be prepared to get a little bit more real in your relationship than you've been before, because now there may be some issues that you'll actually have to talk about, believe it or not. And that's healthy. That's good. If you're going to get married one day, that's what you should be doing. You should be working on your friendship. You should be working on your relationship, and, um, and you should be progressing in that way. So it's an amazing thing. Um, Finally, I wanted to say, and I mentioned this before, have healthy boundaries. I can't recommend strongly enough to be in a community group, to join with some people that can support you. Don't don't, uh, try to make that change by yourself on your own. Make sure that you have some people that are holding you accountable, speaking into your life, and, um, and, and, and that can encourage you along the journey. If you, if you know that you're meant to marry this person, like, you know, then, then the Bible says it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Like, some people date for eight years, and then they go, yeah, I'm, we're just struggling to not have sex. But you've been together more than most married couples, you know, it's just like, actually go out with the courtship being intentional to find out whether or not this is the person you want to marry. And if you know that it is that person, please don't set your wedding date for 2024 because that's the perfect venue and the perfect photographer and the perfect, all the things that you wanted. Because in the midst of all of that, you're going to struggle to remain pure until that time and you're going to rob yourself of that gift. So get married. Again, I said it before in this, in the, in this series, we can help you with that, okay? 
Come to us. We, we'll do it for you real quick. We can do it on a Sunday after church. Um, and it'll be great. We've done that before. Believe it or not, we've done it before. Um, and if you don't know if this is the person that you're meant to, to be marrying or that you should marry and you're still figuring that out, then you definitely should not be having sex with them. Um, that's just a bad idea. So, so hopefully that, um, you know, is, is, is something that encourages those couples. Can we just take one, one moment just to pray for those couples? Come on, let's just pray. Lord, we just thank you for everybody here that is making a decision to honor you with their bodies. We were all bought at a price. You've redeemed us and you've set us apart for special use. You've set us apart to fulfill a calling. And for those couples, Lord God, that have been having sex or been struggling in that area and that are desiring to honor you, God, we thank you for your grace in their lives. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord God, that you will, that you will speak to them and encourage them. And we thank you, God, that you would set them into community, put the right people around them, help them to be open and honest about their journey, and that you will encourage them as they go forward into the future. We pr pray blessing and protection over their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, just one or two more questions. We are running out of time today. Um, this is a big one that, um, that people often ask, and, and it's something that I would want to just kind of share our heart on as well. Um, but question number three is, how should we respond to homosexuality? And are we not to love and accept them? And, and I think that you can already hear kind of how loaded that question with, is with, are we not to? You know, there's already a suggestion in there of like, I already suppose that the church has got some negative view on this and, 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 and won't love these people or people that, that claim to be homosexual. And, and, and this is a question that churches and pastors are put under a lot of pressure to answer in our day and age as marriage and, and sex and, and, and sexuality and gender and all these things are, are, we're in a cultural war right now and it's mainly coming out of the US, um, but, but through media and everything, it filters into our politics, it filters into, into our society, our community, our conversations, into our businesses and our workplaces. Um, you know, we were, were prevented at one point from putting an ad for Anchor Church into a corporate's newsletter, but the same corporate would publish a, uh, you know, LGBTQT, I don't know how many more alphabet letters there are in there, but, but they were publishing an article on it every single week. So that's okay, but anything religious is seen as negative and, 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 and is seen as judgmental, and it's, and it's not tolerated in our world. And, you know, this is, this is something that, that people therefore quickly want to know, you know, what is your view on this? And we've been asked this question many times before. Um, but here's my problem with the question. Those that ask the question are usually seeking to polarize. They're not looking for unity. They're not looking for genuine conversation. They're looking to be able to have something to hold against you, have something to say, oh, you see, we can dismiss everything else you say because you don't agree with us on this one point. And what's uncomfortable about it is that they say, that in order to, they, they say this in order to dismiss outright anyone who has a differing view on sexuality and on God's view of sexuality as intolerable, which is ironic because they don't tolerate those that don't have the same views, but intolerable, bigoted, and judgmental. Anybody kind of heard this conversation going on in our world and how do we respond as Christians? They tried to create a narrative through this question, which is a false narrative and a loaded conversation, right? And the false narrative that they tried to cr create is that you cannot love someone 
and disagree with them at the same time. That's ridiculous. I know my wife loves me, but I can tell you now, she disagrees with me many times. Not that often, only now and again. <laughs> I normally tell her what we should do, and then I say, just kidding, only if you want to. Um, But I love my wife with all my heart. I love my boys with all my heart. But you know what? Sometimes because I love my boys with all my heart, I disagree with them. Because I love them, I would share what, what I believe God's view is for their lives. And so it's a completely false narrative to say that anybody that wants to speak into a situation that may differ from the, the popular view of our world today is, is not loving those people or not accepting those people. So first off, let me say that we have our two main values here at Anchor Church. Number one, that it's all about Jesus. Number two, we love people, and that includes all people, no matter what their orientation is. Um, we got an email, and we, we've actually obviously had gay people visit our church um, for a long time, and, and, and you know, there's, there's, we've had people interact with us on this, this issue, and we got an, an email once from a gay couple um, that wanted to attend Anchor, and they did come, and they attended Anchor, and they attended for a while. Um, but this is the email that they, that they sent to us, and I thought I'd just read it to you just to show you our response. Um, but this is the email they sent before coming to Anchor Church, and they said this. They said, and I, obviously I've taken out the names and, and so forth, but it said, they said, hello, we've been invited to visit your church on Sunday. We are a gay family who believes that Jesus loved us first. Would we be welcome, or do, we or do you have the same stance as some churches Come as you are, but we will pray that God changes your orientation. And this was my reply, and I'm just reading it straight out. I said, hi, and his name. I said, thank you for your email. It was great having you guys at Anchor on Sunday, because they had come that Sunday. Um, I really hope you enjoyed the morning with us. So at Anchor Church, we love and care about people from all walks of life, those with varying beliefs, ethics, perspectives, and lifestyles. We also realize that society as a whole and some within the Christian church can be so quick to alienate and ostracize others who think and or live differently to them. Please know that you and uh, his partner's name are welcome to attend and worship at Anchor Church with the assurance that you will be personally included and accepted within our community by our leadership and staff. However, although we welcome all people, we still hold to the traditional Christian view regarding marriage I trust this answers your question, kind regards, Adrian. And his response was this. He said, thank you, Pastor Adrian. You are too kind and an absolute inspiration. I have so many questions and absolutely no one to answer them. Being gay is not the easiest lifestyle as people in a church environment will never understand. We basically are treated like lepers. I have gone through the come to church, but I doubt God call you here so many times. It's hilarious. I have this urge that I need to be doing more and really need to find an avenue to direct this urge. I'm tired of simply taking and not giving. I feel like God wants me to do something. Anyways, thanks again. Seriously, your response is really amazing. And that's our heart towards people. Now, we always say here at Anchor Church, come as you are. But we believe God loves you so much that he won't necessarily leave you as you are. And that involves all of us. Because all of us have areas that we need the truth of God to speak into our lives on. And when it comes to our stance, another question, we actually had more than one question on this, Another question was, what's your stance on it? And again, I don't like the way that question is phrased because it's not my stance. I'm not speaking here from my own personal opinions. People don't come to the church of Adrian. You know, we're not sitting here to find out what all my personal views are. I'm simply here to be a, be a mirror 
to, to proclaim what God's views and what God's heart and what God says in the scriptures. And so, so the question, what's your stance, is a little bit misleading. This is not my stance, but the stance of scripture. And the stance of scripture on homosexuality, Old Testament, New Testament, from beginning to end, is that homosexuality doesn't represent God's best for individuals or for society. It doesn't represent God's best. In fact, in Romans 1, and I'm, I don't have time to read the scripture today because there's a lot to unpack if I start getting into it, but in Romans 1, it speaks about how men and women have abandoned the natural use of their bodies and burned with passion for one another, exchanging the natural use of their bodies, men desiring men and women desiring women. And so it actually talks about it as something that goes against the creator of nature and the creator of sex. And this is as a result of warped thinking. That's what it ultimately says. In fact, the, the Greek is a play on words. It says that having rejected God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a rejected mind, to a debased mind. In other words, once you start to exclude God from the picture and you no longer want to hear his heart and his truth on matters like sexuality, in other words, it's not the, the reality of God that informs what we believe about our beings and about our sex lives and about our community and about our world, we start to develop warped thinking. And what the scriptures say, and this is Romans 1 saying it, not me, but what the scriptures say is that this expression of sexuality is as a result of warped thinking. Now, what I can tell you, and I studied sexual ethics in university, is that some people are predisposed, some men, for example, are predisposed genetically to be more effeminate than others, just the levels of estrogen versus the levels of tes testosterone. But being tempted is not the same as, as sinning, okay? So there are people that naturally might be tempted or drawn towards same-sex relationships more than others. For others, it's easy to judge from a position of strength to say, well, I've never struggled with that temptation, but you might, you might not be uh, set up that way. So there are certain things that people might claim to be natural. This is natural for me. But how many of you know that, again, that doesn't really hold water in the sense that there are a lot of things that might feel natural to us that biblically would be wrong? If you're a heterosexual male, you might naturally feel like having sex with every beautiful woman you see. And we can't go, well, it's nature, so it's good, you know? If you're angry with somebody, like traffic on a Monday morning, you might have the natural inclination to murder someone. Just because it's natural doesn't mean that it's okay. We are called to live supernatural lives, lives that have a greater vision than just what do I feel like I should do? And in that way, we rely on God's grace to lead us in the correct path. And so all of us, whether you're heterosexual or claim to be homosexual, men and women, when we confess to serve God, when we confess that we know the gospel and we believe in God, then we also are saying that we believe that the truth of God is right. People go, well, you know, how do you know Jesus died for your sins? Oh, my Bible tells me so. Oh, but the Bible says that this is how you should be living. Oh, no, no, I don't, I don't believe that part. Just the other parts, you know, just the good parts for me. And that's just, it's a lack of integrity around faith. And so that's the biblical stance on it, but that doesn't mean that we exclude anybody, that we don't love people, that we don't accept people, that um, people that are, that are on a journey, that are figuring it out. We, we've had many unbelievers come to Anchor Church, people that don't believe in Jesus at all. They'll stand in worship and 
and think, this is ridiculous. Why am I even here? But some, for some reason, they're here. And that's okay. We love having people here. We pray for that every morning. 8.30 every morning, we pray as a team. We pray, God, bring everybody. Bring the hurting. Bring the broken. Bring, the, bring those that are struggling. Bring those that don't believe. Bring, bring people that don't know Jesus. Please, church, let's bring people that don't know Jesus. Because there's hope and, and, and grace and love for each of them. And so that is my answer to that question. Um, let me just do two more as we wrap up today. This one says, as a divorced woman, how do I find sexual fulfillment? As a divorced woman. And this is something really difficult if you're divorced, if you're a widow, um, you know, if you've gone through a, a breakup in a relationship. It's really difficult because obviously married people get used to a certain amount of sexual contact. And when you get divorced, um, all of a sudden, that's taken away. But the problem with people that have gone through that kind of trauma is that you can feel like your greatest need is sexual fulfillment and that you just need to fulfill that need and you'll be fine. But at that time, when you've gone through that, there's so much else that you're dealing with at that time. There's so much you're dealing with emotionally. There's so much you're dealing with psychologically. There's so much that you're dealing with socially. And often what happens is, is that all of those other needs that you have, that desire just to be connected and to be loved and to, and, and, and to have the relationship that you've lost, you can be feeling so much that you can project all of that onto sex and say, well, I'll, I'll feel better if I could just have sex. But what you're really looking for in that moment isn't sex, but connection. What you're longing for is true connection. And casual sex is not going to help that. Sexual brokenness is not going to help that. It's actually increasing it. So our, what we would encourage people that are in that position is, is to make a decision not to activate or respond to the temptation, but to rely on Jesus and to watch what you're thinking about and dwelling on, where you're finding your fulfillment, where you're finding your intimacy from. And what I would also say is trust God for friends to stand by you, because sometimes what you're really just looking for is some relationship and and again, that's where our community groups are so vital. You don't have to go on this journey alone. We would love to meet with you and to, and to see you surrounded by friends that can affirm you and fill your emotional tank. And, uh, and if you are in a position to be remarried, then wait for God's perfect timing. Um, and you can apply all the things that I said in question number two to the couples. You can apply that to your own life because God is something better for you. All right, next question. I'm, I'm going a little bit quicker this morning. Next question, again, this came through multiple times. Is masturbation wrong? All right, everybody take a deep breath. Um, is masturbation wrong? Is it sinful? Some people have taught that the Bible is against masturbation, and they base this on an Old Testament scripture in Genesis 38 on the story of Onan. And the story of Onan is it was cultural of the day, and it was a command of the day that if your brother died, then you were supposed to, so that his wife and his family wouldn't just be uh, cast out as the result of now no longer having, um, you know, their father and their husband with them in society. The, the command was that if your brother dies, that you should take his wife and marry her, and that you should give her children and have a family with her. In other words, you should take your brother's place in, in honoring his wife and bringing her into your family and this happened in Genesis 38. Onan's brother died, and Onan took his brother's wife and then slept with her, 
But at the point where he was supposed to be uh, impregnating her, he then withdrew. And the point was is that he wanted to sleep with her, but he didn't want to fulfill the actual command, which was to have a family with her. And so he was just being lustful. He just wanted to sleep with his brother's wife. He didn't want the responsibility of, of fathering children with her. And so it, it, it was an issue of the heart. But some people have said that because Onan withdrew at the critical moment, there is what the Bible calls the spilling of his seed. So he spilt his seed. We all know what that means. And so, and so for some reason, people have said, okay, so if you masturbate, then you're spilling your seed. And if you use condoms or contraceptives, then again, you're, you're wasting that seed. And, um, and by the way, you know, there's nothing wrong with contraceptives as long as they're not abortive, all right? As long as they're not ending life after it has begun, after conception, then there isn't anything wrong with, with contraceptives because that was also one of the questions that we got. But, um, but the sin of Anan, as I mentioned, was lust. It wasn't the fact that, that, um, that he withdrew or that there was, um, you know, the spilling of his seed. And in the same way, masturbation isn't necessarily sin. The problem, however, okay, so the Bible, so let me say, biblically, the Bible is not against masturbation. It doesn't say anything about masturbation, in fact. Um, the problem is the Bible does talk about lust, and it's pretty difficult to masturbate and not think of sexual things or think or engage in lustful thoughts um, while doing so, and that's the problem, and that's the question is, is it lawful? Technically, yes, but could it be enslaving? And this is the, is, this is the part where you have to make a decision about what's best for you, because masturbation places you at the center of your experience, and Whoever you're thinking about or whatever you're thinking about, you're objectifying any of those people that you're thinking about in satisfying yourself. And it becomes like a narcissistic sexual orientation that you develop. Neural scientists have studied the effects of masturbation for many years. And the issue with it is, is that the neural pathways that are created in masturbation are so powerful, they deliver dopamine to the pleasure center of the brain. And it literally, your brain fires up in the same way that it would is if you were taking cocaine. So the problem with it is, is that those neural pathways, once they've been created, you would crave the dopamine, and it actually becomes an addiction. It can become really addictive. Um, the chemicals released neurologically, you know, during um, sex and, and, and when experiencing sexual intimacy are designed to bind a husband and a wife together. That's why they're that powerful. And one study actually showed that if a guy masturbated while looking at a computer, and on top of the computer was a baseball cap, within one month, he could have a physiological response of sexual arousal only by seeing the baseball cap. It connects your brain so powerfully because it's, it's what it's meant to do. And this is the issue, and this is where it is an area of our lives that can open up a door to a lot of damage and to a lot of um, you know, brokenness once, a, once that person gets married, They've been training themselves for years to think the wrong way about sex, and now they have to try and re-engineer it within marriage, and oftentimes it leads to sexual difficulties. And so that is an area where even though it's, it's not unlawful, it could be enslaving, and it's important not to open the door to lust in our lives. Amen. Okay, one more. Nobody amens on masturbation. Okay. Last one, last one this morning. We're going a little bit over time. Um, last one, 
says this, and again, we got this from more than one couple, says, my marriage has suffered as a result of sex being too painful for my wife. I want to be supportive, but I also feel frustrated. What can I do? This is not uncommon, okay? Uh, not everybody has, I know that when we're, we're talking about sex, um, and we're talking about the beauty of the gift, and it, it, is, it is what it is. It's, it's what God intends for it to be. But we live in a broken world. We live in a, in a world where not everybody is okay physically. Like God's best is for us to be in good health, but still people get sick. And, and there's brokenness, and there's sin, and there's abuse that happens in the past. And people have, have both psychological, emotional, and, and physical issues that they have to work through. We don't live in a perfect world, and, and sex Oftentimes, we've built it up as a fairy tale in our minds, and then once we get married, it seems like the fairy tale can, for some people, turn into a nightmare. Like, okay, that was awkward, first off. Second of all, didn't feel any way that I thought it was going to feel, you know? Um, and, and, and there's so many things that people have to work through. And what I can say, first of all, is, is that, you know, sex is a journey between a husband and a wife. And it's something that doesn't have to always be amazing or isn't always amazing from the get-go but it can become amazing. As you get to know each other and as you grow together in that intimacy, it actually can become better. And so if you are new, a newlywed and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm struggling over here, that's okay. Um, you know, it's something that will get better. But many times there are very real physiological reasons that people have that, uh, as to why sex is painful, especially for women. And what I wanna encourage you to do is to get help in that area. Go see a doctor. Don't sit at home. Don't be ashamed. Don't be like, well, I'm struggling with this and my husband's frustrated and, and whatever. But, but go together and, and find that help. And, and, and for husbands, it obviously is frustrating, but it's, you know, that's real life. That's, that's marriage, that, that things aren't always perfect. And you have many other issues in your life that your wife has to help you walk through. But the point is, is that the marriage is there so that you can face it together so that you can continue loving each other together, so that you can take on the nature of Christ and journey through issues together. It may not have been what you expected, and you may feel frustrated, but don't give up hope. And that would be my main encouragement. Don't give up hope. Life isn't perfect, but by God's grace, we can persevere and we can love. Love chooses to, to persevere. 1 Corinthians 13 Verse four to seven says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Listen to this. Love bears all things. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. You might not be enjoying sex in your marriage right now, but don't give up hope. Keep praying, keep walking it out, and go for the help. If it's emotional, if you had abuse as a child, which happened to so many people, then go and see somebody. Come and talk to us. We've got counselors, we've got pastors. We can refer you to people. Work through those issues that are preventing you from being intimate with your spouse. If it's physiological, which so often it is, then go and see a doctor and go on the journey towards healing. I wanted to close by reading a testimony from a couple in our church, and they gave us the go-ahead to share this, although I won't mention any names. Um, and I wanted to just read, and I've, and I've shortened it a little bit for time, but uh, this is what they, what, they, what they wrote, and I wanted to encourage any of you struggling with sex in your marriage, 
I wanted you to just hear this. She wrote, my husband and I both waited to have sex till marriage. Obviously, we were pretty excited about the journey, about what the journey will be like. Unfortunately, it wasn't what we expected. Sex was extremely, extremely painful for me to such an extent that I didn't want anything to do with it. After six months of marriage, I decided to go see a doctor. The first doctor said it was most likely just in my head, so I must just persevere. I did that for three years with detrimental effects on our marriage. Because like you said, this was something I mentioned earlier on in the series, sex has an effect on every aspect of your life. I started to believe I was an absolute failure as a woman and a wife, which was just a confirmation of the you're not good enough, you're different, the only one that will look after you is you seeds that were planted during my childhood. I threw myself into my work as that was the only place I felt I could show that I was worthy. My husband tried to cope in a different way. He went out with friends constantly where he drank a lot. With me having a very tenuous relationship with trust in general, the drinking and aftermath didn't help. He didn't want, want to be home with me, and when we were together, we either talked about inconsequential things or we fought and badly so. I've been a pastor for 50 years. This is a common story. It was at this point where I was fed up with God. To say I was angry is an understatement. We did everything God asked of us. We waited, we prayed, we believed, and yet nothing worked. We were isolated. We couldn't talk to anyone because everyone had all these tales to tell about how amazing sex was. Or if we did talk to close friends, they didn't really know what to say either. I stopped going to church for two years as I just couldn't do the fake, we're good, I'm good anymore. Yet somehow this was exactly the place where I felt God the most. He came to, me, to meet me where I was, a very, very dark place, where the D word started coming up more and more because neither of us could go on like that. Finally, after years of struggle, I met with another doctor, and after examining me, she looked at me and said, there is something very wrong with you physically. You have a, a very long word, which to this day I battle to pronounce. I started crying hysterically as it wasn't just all in my head, it was real. By this time, though, a lot of damage was done with the physical turning into a mental thing. It also didn't help that I didn't want kids anymore. I didn't want any of my kids burdened with what I went through, so I decided I'd rather choose not to have them than to put them through this hell. We went for intensive couples therapy because real soul-connecting trust had to be built from both our sides. I, in particular, had to get healthy emotionally in order to open myself up to connecting with my husband on such a deep level and that started with us being healthy from a relationship perspective. This journey took over four years. It was a long, hard road, going on 10 years, seeing that next year, January, is our 10-year wedding anniversary, with more landmines than we can count. There were days we hated each other, when we wanted to give up, where we asked, where are you, God? The last four years, however, we've been on a journey of healing. Today, our relationship is stronger than ever, we are connected in a way that takes my breath away, a love that is as unconditional as it can get from a human perspective, and the I will take a bullet for you kind of trust that I've never, ever experienced. The security that's in that is immeasurable. And to top it all off, a little baby boy came our way in January, a miracle if I've ever seen one. So did God answer our prayers? Yes, but in a different way than we had hoped for. It wasn't a quick fix, and I'll probably always have to manage it to some extent, but God gave us the strength to persevere. He gave, you, he gave us the right professionals at last who helped us when nothing else did, even people's good intentions. 
And he gave us glimpses of himself throughout our journey, even if we couldn't really see it at the time. Looking back, however, his fingerprints are all over our story. Isn't that amazing? Come on, can we just thank Jesus for that couple? If you're struggling in this area, you know, our, our society is so often perpetuated by shame. And people are always shaming each other, even if it's an undertone of shame. But the church is not a place of shame. The church is a place of acceptance and grace and, and the love of God. And so if you're struggling in this area, don't be ashamed. If you need help in this area, we have people that can go on a journey with you, that can encourage you and that can help you. And we want to tell you, don't suffer in silence. Get into a community group, be in relationship with others, have people pray with you. And, and you know what? So many times, and I want to mention this, if you're struggling with an area like this, people would say, you know, people need to have grace for me. And oftentimes, even in terms of homosexuality, because I've dealt with it many times before, people say, can we come to church and will the people have grace for us? And the answer is yes, but then you must also have grace for them. You must also understand that for them it's different and they don't always know how to respond. And if they don't respond perfectly, can you have grace for them? Because grace goes both ways. And so even if you're struggling and you feel people have given you advice that wasn't the best advice or that possibly even hurt you, let's make room for one another as we're trying to help each other go forward. But we wanna make that room for you, whoever you are, whatever your experience is, the bottom line is, is that God's grace is sufficient. We wanna pursue health in this area for all of us, and it starts with understanding God's view of sex, God's heart behind sex, the beauty of it, and not allowing the world to deface or to devalue it, but to hold fast even when there are challenges or even when it's difficult. And that would be my final word on our sex series. We'll put this, this up, and you can refer back to it, forward it to friends that might be struggling in these areas, um, you can go back and listen to the other messages, but I trust that through this series, you've been encouraged and that God has enlarged your vision and your view, your perspective on what healthy sex looks like for couples, for marriage, um, and for a community. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me as we pray together this time?